WABC New York and 1071 WLIR Hampton Bays. It's the 77 WABC News Hour. Talking the news with Noah Layden. All the news you need to know with Joe Nolan, Traffic, Justin Ellick, Sports. And now, talking the news with Noah on 77 WABC. Yep, that's me, 5 o'clock. Good morning. It is Tuesday, October 31st. Oh, look at that. It's Halloween. Your forecast from the Ramsey Mazda Weather Center. Mix of sun and clouds today. Cooler than it has been. The high going to be 53. Tonight, an overnight clouds with a pop-up shower or two, low 44. And then Wednesday, tomorrow, rain early, sun and clouds in the afternoon, high 50. If you are walking out the door with us right now, 47, partly cloudy in Southampton, out on Long Island, 48, partly cloudy, Tom's River down in New Jersey. And it is 48 and clear here in Midtown. I started last night to polish off the first bag of candy of all the bags that my wife had bought to uh, hand out. I pulled out a small quart of milk and uh, almost polished off the entire bag of Reese's peanut butter cups. So when she comes downstairs this morning, she'll realize she's down a bag of candy and whether we'll go out and buy another one. Uh, do you have this We where I am? I am not exaggerating. We will have probably a thousand kids come by, which is crazy, right? That's how big Halloween has come. Just crazy, crazy, crazy. But anyway, it's always a fun day. Always fun to see how the kids are all dressed up. It starts like 4.30 in the afternoon. And then sometimes you get those knocks at like like 10 o'clock at night, <laughs> which we still get. And you're like, do I open the door for this person? Anyway, uh, the big story continues to be, of course, overseas. Israel expanding its ground operation in Gaza. Prime Minister Netanyahu says Hamas is willing to fight Israel to the end. The horrors that Hamas perpetrated on October 7th remind us that we will not realize the promise of a better future unless we, the civilized world, are willing to fight the barbarians. This comes as fighting between Israel and Hamas stretches past, well, it's the three-week mark now. Over 9,000 have been killed in total on both sides of the conflict since Hamas attacked savagely Israel on October 7th. Those numbers, lots of people debate whether they're legit or not, some of it coming from the Hamas-run health ministry, but we'll go with that for now. Over the weekend, talks between the two sides to free some of the over 200 hostages held by Hamas a stalling, at least that's what we've been told. Israeli officials say a female soldier that had been kidnapped by Hamas during that October 7th attack freed during Israel's ground operation in Gaza on Monday. Shatter that promising future. Destroy all that we cherish. Shatter that promising future. Destroy all that we cherish and usher in a world of fear and darkness. It is time for all of us to decide if we are willing to fight for a future of hope and promise, yeah, so or surrender to tyranny and terror. The Prime Minister giving that speech yesterday, as we have, as we've watched this whole war break out since October 7th, since that savage attack by Hamas terrorists over the Gaza border. Uh, we've been checking in with a great reporter, Alex Trayman, CEO, Jerusalem Bureau Chief of Jewish News Syndicate. You can find the great work he does at JNS.org and all the other reporters that work there as well. And he joins us live on our Newsmaker line from Jerusalem. Good morning, Alex. Good morning, Noam. So, Alex, give us the latest. Tell us about the fighting that has taken place over the last 24 hours. What can you tell us? I know Israel has moved further into Gaza. What has happened? 
Well, there was big celebrations last night in Israel as uh, ground forces uh, were able to rescue an Israeli soldier, Ori Megadish, who was taken captive on October 7th as she was returned home. Uh, so it was the first time that the IDF uh, special forces had rescued a hostage, uh, which was uh, it was a, a big big boost to the morale of Israel, knowing that the and a reinforcement that the ground forces are are doing strong work in the Gaza Strip and the operation is important. It's it's uh, reported that uh, the ground forces have essentially done a pincer movement around uh, Gaza City, which is the largest city in the northern Gaza Strip, closing it off from both the north and the south. Uh, and uh, they are using both ground and aerial uh, forces together with ground forces, in a sense, actually now leading the way uh, and identifying where fire is coming from. And then air troops, uh, the, the Air Force coming on top and, and taking care of the buildings, uh, hitting buildings from which uh, fire is coming at Israeli soldiers. Tell me a little bit more about this soldier that they were able to find. Uh, do we know what condition she's in? Where was she found? Uh, any detail that you might have? Sure. On October 7th, she was at the Nahal Oza observation base, which was one of the first bases which was hit in order to allow the, the Hamas uh, terrorists to move into the Israeli cities. They first took out the uh, the observation towers. Um, she, so she was kidnapped from, from there. It was reported that she was uh, being kept alone. Uh, inside the Gaza Strip. We're not being told where she was found or exactly how, except that uh, ground forces uh, did rescue her, and apparently they encountered uh, fire from Hamas uh, terrorists that were holding her inside the Strip. Uh, According to the reports, uh, no Israelis were injured or killed in the rescue operation, but we're not being told too much about uh, where she was held because uh, presumably if the IDF has information, they don't want that information to get back uh, to Hamas. But she was uh, returned home in good condition. She had a meeting uh, with both the IDF chief of staff and the head of the the Shin Bet, which is essentially the the intelligence uh, agency of Israel, internal intelligence, uh, and was able to actually provide uh, significant information about what had happened to her since she was taken captive and, and where she was inside of the Strip. Should this give us hope, Alex, that more of these 220-plus hostages might be rescued? I think so. Uh, the IDF has uh, continued to say that rescuing the hostages uh, is a number one priority, and this is certainly proof of their ability to do so. WABC News Time 509. We're live on our newsmaker line. Alex Trayman, CEO, Jerusalem Bureau Chief of the Jewish News Syndicate, great news outfit, JNS.org. So, Alex, uh, tell us about the soldier death toll on the part of Israel. Do we know how many soldiers have been killed in the fighting over the last couple of weeks? Yeah, since October 7th, uh, it's reported that uh, 300 soldiers have been killed, but uh, I think the overwhelming majority of them were actually killed on October 7th, uh, both when Hamas terrorists stormed uh, military bases uh, the early morning hours and during the fighting which took place on the Israeli side. It's really been, fortunately, uh, very few um, injured and, and murdered uh, 
IDF soldiers since the ground operation has began inside the Gaza Strip with uh, one major incident coming when a, when a tank actually overturned. I'm not even sure if that uh, happened uh, with, with fighting, uh, with, with fire directed at it. So, you know, fortunately, the IDF uh, has been moving with uh, precision and efficiency and has uh, so far not lost very many soldiers in the, in the battle. What, what kind of resistance are these soldiers getting in Gaza? Do we know? Well, you know, the Gaza Strip is a highly booby-trapped and difficult urban fighting environment. Uh, the the Air Force has hit numerous uh, buildings, uh, providing a lot of different uh, places where Hamas uh, terrorists could be hiding out. Um, so the IDF is, is kind of moving with care. Uh, they're, they're moving quickly in and out of targets, um, sometimes moving in in and out of the strip itself uh, and they they are they are encountering gunfire they're also encountering uh uh anti-tank guided missiles and, and rpgs are being fired at them um but they are once again they're they're more successful in taking out the the terrorists and the terrorists have been at taking out them so the latest hostage video video have you seen it of these three women did you watch it yes and uh, it was, you know, it was just hard. I was almost sorry I watched it. It was hard to watch. Tell me what the official government response is to that video and what we know about those three women in it. Sure. You know, the, you know, the official response is that this is part of the psychological warfare game which Hamas has been playing. You know, they, they've uh, taken hostages. They've released videos of the hostages. They've threatened to start executing hostages. Uh, this is really, you know, the the, the type of, uh, you know, inflating the, the numbers of, of killed in Gaza. Um, you know, these are all part of the, the psychological warfare game that Hamas is playing. And, and you have to understand that, they don't have the the military capabilities to defeat the IDF, so they're using every tool at their disposal uh, to try to uh, you know hurt the Israeli psyche, and, and this is part of what we saw. But at the same time, it, it, it does need to be understood that a lot of the the hostages that were taken from uh, southern southern communities, uh, you know, are left what we can call in Israel you know more left wing. <laughs> um, more left-wing communities and individuals, and there has been a political uh, political debate in Israel about you know whether Netanyahu should continue to be the prime minister, and so <laughs> it could very well be that uh, that the hostages do hold Netanyahu responsible for what happened, and and many Israelis do. Yeah, well, in the end, Israel is a democracy. Whether this debate will continue, whether there's a war happening or not, no. Absolutely. Uh, you know, Netanyahu was a democratically elected prime minister over and over again, and uh, including a, a year and a half ago. And, and yes, there's going to be uh, some significant uh, commissions of inquiry into what happened, and, and the Israeli public will have to decide you know, who is ultimately responsible for the intelligence and security breakdowns, and we'll, we'll hold those politicians accountable. We're talking to live Alex Trayman, CEO, Jerusalem Bureau, Chief of the Jewish News Syndicate, JNS.org. So we've heard so much, of course, about the civilian toll on the Gaza side, and we're seeing all kinds of numbers across the board. But no doubt a lot of people have been killed. How does that play in Israel? Does it play the same way in the rest of the world that certain people are outraged, others are not? Well, first of all, we we don't know how many of the we don't know how many people have actually died in Gaza. It's it's already been been stated in Israel and the United States that the, the death toll 
numbers cannot necessarily be counted on by the Gaza Health Ministry, which is essentially an, an organ of Hamas. Uh, second, we, we can't know among those killed how many are civilians and how many were Hamas terrorists. I mean, even on the Israeli side of the border, it's been reported that as many as 1,500 Hamas terrorists were killed inside Israel on October 7th and in the days following. Um, so uh, we can't know exactly how many were killed, how many of those were civilians. And, and I will tell you that here inside Israel, uh, there is not one ounce of concern for uh, Hamas terrorists. I, I mean, it's rather for uh, civilians that, that have been killed in the fighting with Hamas terrorists. Uh, Israel to- has told all of the civilians in the northern Gaza Strip to leave the Gaza, the northern Gaza Strip and to head south uh, into some of the uh, safe areas that are set up uh, within parts of the southern Gaza Strip. Uh, and everybody that's remained in the north, the IDF is essentially considering to be a terrorist. Uh, you know, there has been more than two weeks of warning to move south. Those that haven't done it essentially are are militant combatants, and if they're taken out, that they didn't follow the instructions. All right, I have a question. You might not be able to answer, but do you have any sense, or is the government getting any sense of how long this will last? How long will it take to take out Hamas? The government uh, keeps saying that this is going to be a long and difficult operation. They're talking about weeks, if not months, uh, and we we really don't know. How long it's going to take? Uh, you know, once we have to wait until the until IDF troops stop being fired on. I really believe that they're going to go for an unconditional surrender by Hamas, and they're not going to stop until that goal is is accomplished. JNS has done an excellent job covering the war. You definitely want to check them out. JNS dot org. Alex Trayman, CEO, Jerusalem Bureau Chief of JNS, the Jewish News Syndicate. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. Thank you, Noah. 515, let's head over to the 77 WABC Sports Desk where we find Justin Ellick. Thank you, Noam Aladdin. Start here on the gridiron. Week 8 wrapped up last night in Detroit with the Lions and the Las Vegas Raiders on Monday Night Football. Detroit's Jameer Gibbs ran for a season high 152 yards and a touchdown, while Sam Laporta had eight receptions for 57 yards and a score and route to a 26 to 14 Lions win. Detroit improves to 6 and 2 overall with the win while the Raiders Record falls to three and five on the diamond in Arizona. The World Series picked up a last pick back up last night, I should say, and it was the Texas Rangers pulling out the big three to one win in Game Three to take a two games to one series lead heading into Game Four tonight. First pitch there is set for eight oh three p.m. as the series remains in Arizona on the hardwood. The Nets secured their first victory of the young season last night with a one thirty three to one twenty one road win over the Charlotte Hornets. Cam Thomas led off scoring with his 33 points, helping Brooklyn build a 21-point first quarter lead that they'd ride to the final buzzer. The Nets will enjoy an off day today and make way for some New York Knicks action tonight. The Knickerbockers are in Cleveland for a matchup against the Cavaliers. Tip-off there is scheduled for 7.30 p.m. Also out of the NBA, a big coast-to-coast move is in store for James Harden as the 10-time All-Star guard has been traded by the Philadelphia 76ers to the L.A. Clippers in a blockbuster trade that went down last night. The 76ers sent Harden, P.J. Tucker, and Philip Petrusev to the Clippers for Marcus Morris, Robert Covington, Nick Batum, P.J. Martin, and a 2028 unprotected first-round pick, two second-round picks, a 2029 pick swap and an additional first round pick. Wow, that'll be routed. That's from huge. 13. Yeah, it's a big haul. Is Harden re- really worth that anymore? No, I don't think he is. Yeah. But I think the pettiness and and his exit from Philadelphia kind of uh, motivated uh, Daryl Morey and uh, and the Sixers front office to, um, I guess, get really what they thought they deserved for him and the headache that he was.
to be honest with you. He can't get along with anybody, can he? No, he really really cannot. He cannot. And finally, to the ice, though, the Rangers kept their early season momentum going with a 3-2 overtime win last night over the Winnipeg Jets. Good for their fifth straight W, the fifth straight on the road, that is. Artemi Panarin celebrated his 32nd birthday with a goal and two assists, stretching his season-opening point streak to nine games, while Chris Kreider buried his sixth goal of the year to tie things up a little over halfway through the third. In overtime, it was Mika Zibanejad who played hero with the game winner uh, with uh, just under 30 seconds left in the extra period. Here's what the heroic sound like, courtesy of MSG. Zibanejad with it, 35 seconds to go in the overtime. Keandre Miller, does he have another game winner in that stick? Panarin. Zibanejad, he scores! They did it! The Rangers have swept the road trip! Five for five! Mika Zibanejad! <laughs> Once again, five for five on that road trip. They do indeed sweep the trip. They'll come on home now. And the Islanders ended up on the opposite side of things in their overtime bout at home against the Detroit Red Wings, losing four to three after Lucas Raymond scored one twenty-five into overtime to give Detroit the win. The Isles had one two straight heading into last night, so they'll try and get right back on track come uh, this Thursday night in Washington. That's where they'll pick it up. No, And that is sports. I'm Justin Ellick on 77 WABC. WABC News Time 520. Let's go down to D.C. President Biden issuing an executive order on artificial intelligence. AI is all around us. Much of it is making our lives better. In some cases, AI is making life worse. So the president says the actions aimed at promoting the responsible development of the advancing technology curious how much he understands of it. The order requires companies building the most advanced AI systems to perform safety tests and to share those results with the federal government. To make sure AI is safe and the system is secure. Yeah, okay, so the order also includes several actions to boost the development of AI in the U.S. And while we're talking about the president and being down at the White House yesterday, he was applauding the agreement between the United Auto Workers and GM that ended their labor strike. They have reached a historic agreement and a hard-fought agreement that was really battled for a while. But it was all done in good faith. Better wages, uh, retirement security for those auto workers. The president congratulating the union and car makers for coming to a deal. Over a 30 percent increase in wages, greater retirement security and more paid leave. How strong relationship between workers and management can mean record profits leading to record contracts. 522, let's move over to the Senate. It's unlikely you'll ever be forced to wear a COVID mask on an airplane again. The Senate passing an amendment to a spending bill that bans federal funds from being used to enforce face covering mandates on airlines, trains, and buses. We've learned a lot of lessons as a result of the politicalization of science and the mixed messages that people got during the pandemic. That's Texas Senator John Cornyn, who voted for that amendment, calling it a victory for personal freedom. One of the lessons I think we learned is that the masks may not have been as successful in preventing the spread of disease as some people thought. Now, nobody's going to stop you from wearing a mask, but you'll never be forced to wear one again. The anxiety that people suffered as a result of their being fearful of leaving their homes has created a lot of problems that will be with us for some time. It's been about a year and a half since a federal judge ended the Biden administration's mask mandate. Down to Mississippi, the family of a Mississippi man killed by a Jackson Police Department vehicle did not find out about it for six months. And now they want 
the Justice Department to investigate it all. The man's mother, Burdison Wade, wants some answers today. I put in a missing report. They're my address. They're my phone number. Same thing on his medical records. Mm -hmm. How could they not? How could they not put all that together? So here's the story. 37-year-old Dexter Wade walking when he was hit and killed by that police vehicle back in March. Police say they tried to notify the next of kin but had outdated contact info. The family, though, said they reported Wade missing while his body was buried in a pauper's field. Police said officers didn't realize the missing person was the same man as the one killed. Now the family wants Wade's body exhumed and an autopsy conducted. 524, a new study shows that in the year since Roe v. Wade was overturned, the number of abortions performed nationwide has actually increased, much to the dismay of anti-abortion groups. It's been really difficult to break this false narrative that, okay, we overturned Roe v. Wade, the battle is won, there's no more challenges. That's John Siego with Right to Life. He says there's still a number of states where the procedure is legal, and of course there are big ones, New York, of course, being one of them, California. The study done by the Society of Family planning which advocates for abortion rights found that there were 2200 more abortions performed last year as hard as it is to face the truth i am happy that these numbers are kind of showing people we actually have a lot more work to do we go from that study to another one that shows food insecurity continues to rise with inflation continuing to rise experts say much of it has to do with the economy the reality is is the inflation on food rent utilities drove more people to food banks. Eric Cooper runs a food bank, says that seniors are especially hit hard, many on a fixed income, which makes it hard to keep up when the numbers go up. Because there has been no gains in household income over expenses, you're seeing these dramatic increases. We have gotten back to pandemic level demand. Yeah, the report from the Department of Agriculture shows that more than 44 million Americans are living in what they call food insecure households, meaning they don't always know where their next meal is coming from. That's up more than 10 million from the previous year. Pharmacy employees at CVS and Walgreens stores are beginning a walkout. Some staff are starting the three-day strike to demand better working conditions and to hire more people. Organizers are calling it Farmageddon, and it's a third strike by pharmacists in just over a month. In September, some CVS staff walked out in Kansas City, Missouri, and Walgreens workers went on strike earlier this month. I'm Lisa Taylor. Tributes continue to pour in for Friends actor Matthew Perry as a memorial grows outside the New York City apartment building. Now, they shot the exteriors of the apartment for the TV show, but they never shot the show in New York. It was always in L.A., but people who are really upset about his death have been placing flowers outside this building anyway. So watched it in college, watched it growing up. I haven't seen it because my mom was a huge fan, so I'd watch with her. I like, grew up watching Friends for as long as I can remember. I think I'm from Sydney, and I think it's probably one of the reasons that I fell in love with New York was because of that show and then moved here. Yeah, there's people from all over the world outside this house uh, yesterday. Of course, she played Chandler Bing on Friends for so many years and people say they really connected with him. It's more important that his story was told and he was trying to share his recovery. Everybody knows somebody in recovery. And I know he's written that he hopes people don't just remember him for Friends but also for helping others get sober. 
Perry found dead Saturday after an apparent drowning. He was open about his struggles with drug and alcohol, even using his 2021 memoir, Friends, Lovers, and Big Terrible Thing, to say that he wanted to be remembered for helping others. He was 54 years old. They're doing a toxicology report to try to figure out why he died. Federal Reserve is meeting later this week. We'll consider another interest rate hike. I don't expect the Fed to increase interest rates, even despite the higher inflation than their target. But I expect a rate hike maybe as early as December. Yeah, that's economist Ernie Gross. The opening bell, it rings this morning after stocks rallied to start the week on Wall Street. All three major indexes gained more than 1% ahead of fresh economic data and the Federal Reserve's decision on interest rates. Mega cap tech stocks, including Amazon and Meta, helped boost the markets. Verizon, Goldman Sachs, Nike each gained more than 3% during the session yesterday. Tesla's shares, though, they lost about 5% over renewed concerns about failing demand for electric cars. At the closing bell, the Dow gained 511 points. S&P 500 added uh, 49, and the Nasdaq rose 146 points. Talk Radio 77 WABC. It's the 77 WABC News Hour. Talking the news with Noam Layden. All the news you need to know with Joe Nolan, Traffic, Justin Ellick, Sports. And now, talking the news with Noam on 77 WABC. Yep, that's me, 532. Good morning. It is Tuesday, October 31st. Your forecast from the Ramsey Mazda Weather Center. Sun clouds today, cooler than it has been, but it'll be nice for trick-or-treating. High 53. Tonight and overnight, some clouds move in. It could see a pop-up shower, but it'll be after the trick-or-treaters are long gone. Low 44. And then tomorrow, rain early. And then sun and clouds in the afternoon, high 50. If you're walking out the door with us right now, so happy you are. 47, partly cloudy in Southampton, out on Long Island. 48 and partly cloudy in Tom's River, down in New Jersey. And it's 47 and cloudy here in Midtown. We'll start this half hour right here in the the city, New York City, opening that massive relief shelter for migrants at Floyd Bennett Field, the one that neighbors had fought so hard to stop. But the city seems to have won this battle. The shelter opening to migrant families yesterday. Now, we had gotten word about 500 people were going to move in yesterday. Couldn't get confirmation before we came to air whether that was true. But this tent city can house up to 2,000 family members. Some of it is broken down into bedrooms with a couple beds and outlets for uh, appliances or, you know, computers, that type of thing. Um, the newest relief center is considered the best of what they say was a bad list of options to address the migrant crisis because if you haven't been paying attention those buses are still rolling in from the u.s mexico border almost every single day we cannot continue to be paying for unlimited hotel rooms for people uh, that these congregate settings are the way to go that's governor hokel says those hotel rooms are way too expensive there are four main areas at this new shelter at floyd bennett field the first tent is an intake tent behind that is a cafeteria which will be open 24 7 next is a tent for bathrooms and shower trailers and the final one is the dormitories that have pods for families Again, so many had fought to stop this from happening. One of them, City Council Member Joanne Areola. 
coming to a national park is so egregious. Uh, and it opens the door and it sets a precedent for every other national park. So, again, we had word yesterday about 500 were going to be moved in, including family members. But this tent city can hold as many as 2,000. The city has processed more than 130,000 migrants since the spring of 2022. And the city's currently housing about, which means paying for, 65 of the of uh, 65,000 of them at various shelters across the city. Out to Brooklyn. We were telling you about this story yesterday when right when we came onto the air, just got awful. So we know more about this father and son who were shot and killed in their East Flatbush, Brooklyn apartment building on Sunday night, late at Sunday night. Their downstairs neighbor apparently was fed up with noise and went upstairs and pulled out a gun and shot both the father and son in front of the entire family. The father being a 47-year-old, his son 27. Here's the rest of the family who had to witness this all. The guy downstairs, he killed my brother, the neighbor. He killed my brother and my dad. I think that I'm dreaming. Killing my husband in front of my, in front of my 10-year-old. Yeah, so the... Uh, Downstairs neighbor, this is what we're being told, had been banging on the ceiling and was angry about the noise coming from the apartment. So he went upstairs, an argument escalated, and this guy had a gun on him. And uh, he shot the father and the son in front of their 10-year-old kid. My son is a good boy. Good boy. My husband is a good guy. He's not violent. My husband have no gun, no weapon. Why would bring a gun? To shoot my family. Why bring your gun to tear my family apart? So dead is 47-year-old Vladimir Mathurin, who was a bus driver and an Uber driver to pay the family's bills. The son, 27-year-old Chinwai, was the other who was killed. No arrests have been made so far. Police think they know who they're looking for, but so far they have not been able to find this guy. It's just a matter of time until they catch up with them. WABC News Time 538. Let's go out to Long Island. Cops there looking for a driver after two preteen girls say they were approached by a woman who called out from them from her vehicle. The incident took place in Wontaw about 3.15 in the afternoon over the weekend. The 12-year-old girls were just walking on the sidewalk when they say a woman driving an older model gray SUV allegedly came up to them. So when I heard that, of course, I was very concerned because my grandchildren are here and I'm certainly not going to let them go outside by themselves. The woman in the vehicle honked her horn, rolled down the window before yelling out to the girls. The two children, they got scared, so they hid and ran away before getting in touch with a parent who then called the cops. When we find her, and we will, we just want to make sure that it was not just a... Um, communications issue. Yeah, that's happened before. There initially was another claim of an attempted luring of a seven-year-old boy by a woman also in Uanta earlier in October, but police later said it was just a misunderstanding. But parents, you know, you can imagine they're a little unnerved. So you can't take anything for granted. Know where your children are. Um, always be in contact with them. Never let them be alone. 
It's crazy world. So far, they have not caught up with this driver. 539, the cost of admission to a museum here in the city on the rise. But if some activists have their way, certain iconic institutions could charge nothing to enjoy what they have to offer. In other words, museums would be free. Due to inflation and recession right now, it would be very helpful. Yeah, that's somebody who was waiting online at the Museum of Natural History on the Upper West Side yesterday. She said she spent about 55 bucks to get into the museum. Uh, Other city treasures like the Bronx Zoo, Botanical Gardens, the price of admission has gone up there. And uh, State Senator Cordell Clear of Harlem wants to change that because it says the admission price is too high and it's scaring away people who would probably enjoy something like a museum or the Bronx Zoo. All of our families shouldn't have a doubt whether I can take me and my family of four to a museum. It shouldn't cost me $125. So she introduced a bill that will closely examine the admission costs and make sure those institutions that sit on public land and therefore don't pay rent hold up their end of the deal to offer better ticket deals. This land was given freely to these institutions and other concessions and benefits. Our families should have access. Now, some of these museums you're probably saying, I've seen that's pay as you go. Like it used to be you could just drop money in a bucket and whatever it was, that was your admission. They had the suggested price. And then if you wanted to pay something less than that, you could. Some of those museums still have it, but others do not. I know that even young people can't afford a lot of, you know, the prices to get in. would love to come and see what these museums have. Yeah, so now they'll study these prices, come up with a plan. New York City's newest police officers ready to patrol as the NYPD Commissioner Eddie Caban prepares them for the job. The latest graduation comes amid rising tensions over Israel-Hamas war, with Caban saying challenges will continue here in the city as they graduated this class yesterday. It doesn't matter whether you were born here, what God you worship, or how you identify. We are here for everyone, and that is a beautiful thing. The commissioner says the department's newest officers best prepared to rise to the occasion. 107 members of this graduating class born outside of the U.S. from 37 different countries. We just want our babies to have a place where they can be educated, where they can walk the streets in a safe way, where they won't have to worry about anyone spewing hate towards them. That's Mayor Adams, who took part in the graduation yesterday. As turmoil and conflict continues to rise around the globe, so too with the challenges we face here in New York City. And there is no better way to meet those challenges than with an offer to help. Yeah, so we wish those guys luck. And some of those police officers who've just graduated will likely be on patrol tonight for the Village Halloween Parade, which is set to kick off at 7 o'clock. NYPD Chief of Patrol John Shell says the safety plan's in place along the parade route in the West Village, including barricades and an increased officer presence. We'll keep the parade safe. We'll keep the city safe. We've got about 60,000 people partaking in the parade tomorrow. Uh, last time we had a praise by a million viewers. Yeah, so the NYPD says you'll see some of the security, but other security you won't see. It'll just be undercover stuff. He's encouraging people to be vigilant, as always. If you see something, say something. You'll see a uniform presence, obviously. You'll see some drones to get an overview, overview of what we're looking at. You'll see marked department vehicles. 
If you've never gone, by the way, it's enormously fun. Fun parade to, to be at. New York City also closing uh, dozens of streets for its second annual Halloween trick or street celebration. Uh, so 100 streets and plazas will go car free so families can safely celebrate tonight. This is about changing the culture. The street doesn't belong only to people that have cars. The street belongs to everyone. That's Department of Transportation and Commissioner Yudanis Rodriguez, who says this plan will make kids safe as they go door to door. New York has always presented itself as a leader in creating a safe culture for our children because we know on these nights we're worried about where our kids are, but to have 100 locations of folks where you could do this. And then up in Westchester County, once again, they'll be keeping sex offenders off the streets this Halloween to make sure trick-or-treaters remain safe. For the 17th year, local sex offenders will be required to attend an anti-sexual abuse victim impact program at the exact hours kids would be trick-or-treating. And it is designed to keep those who are registered sex offenders off the streets, not uh, in a situation where they might interact with young trick-or-treaters. It'll take place at the Westchester County Courthouse from 5.30 to 10 p.m. It's mandatory, so they have to show up. While they are there, the offenders will hear compelling accounts of the devastation that's been perpetrated on children and adult victims, gain insight into how those acts can reverberate all throughout a victim's life. Yeah, the program run by the Westchester County Probation Department. And several towns in New Jersey trying to prevent pranks and vandalism from occurring this Halloween. Towns putting in a curfew for those who are under the age of 18. Some towns have curfews beginning at 7 o'clock tonight, and you can't be back out until the next morning, so you got to do your trick-or-treating early. Others are 9 o'clock. The curfews will typically last in until daybreak when we first moved here we'd be out really late but now it's good that you know that the kids are they're done by eight still gives them about four or five hours to go so that's good i have a little one who's six so being home by dark is actually great for me i don't want to be going around i'm not a kid no more but i think it's appropriate so cops say that anybody they catch outside those hours they'll just escort them back home all right, 545, let's head over to the 77 WABC Sports Desk where we find Justin Ellis. Thank you, Noam Aladdin on the gridiron here. Week 8 wrapped up last night in Detroit with the Lions and the uh, Vegas Raiders on Monday Night Football. Detroit's Jameer Gibbs ran for a season-high 152 yards and a touchdown, while Sam Laporta had eight receptions for 57 yards and a score. And route to a 26-14 Lions win. Detroit improves to 6-2 and overall with the win, while the Raiders' record... Falls to three and five on the diamond in Arizona. The World Series picked up last night, and it was the Texas Rangers pulling out the big three to one win in game three to take a two games to one series lead heading into game four tonight. First pitch there is set for 8.03 p.m. as the series remains in Arizona. Have you watched one game? No. No. Have you watched one second of one game? I have actually not. No. Yeah, me neither. There you go. There yeah. you go. It's That's, almost like there's not even a World Series going I on. I know. It, isn't it? Isn't it like weird? I have yeah. no idea. Like really, until I look at what the actual schedule is, I don't know when the games. You know, I don't know when the, the ratings games are. Have to be terrible. There's it's, not it's, a soul. There's watching nobody watching. Yeah, and there's nobody. I mean, you know, they try to make it look like the stadium is packed in Arizona, but I don't know. Are they not even selling out for the World they Series? They gotta be. Yeah. They gotta be. I would think, but mm. uh, you know, it's not. It's just not a great ballpark in general. So. Anyway, moving on here on the hardwood, the Nets secured their first victory of the young season last night with a 133-121 road win over the Charlotte Hornets. Cam Thomas led all scoring with his 33 points, helping Brooklyn build a 21-point first quarter lead that they'd ride to the final buzzer. The Nets will enjoy an off day today and make way.
away for some New York Knicks action tonight. The Knickerbockers are in Cleveland for a matchup against the Cavaliers. Tip-off there is scheduled for 7.30 p.m. Also out of the NBA, a big coast-to-coast move is in store for James Harden as the 10-time All-Star has been traded by the 76ers to the L.A. Clippers in a blockbuster trade that went down last night. The Sixers sent Harden, P.J. Tucker, and Philip Petrasev to the Clippers for Marcus Morris, Robert Covington, Nick Fatum, K.J. Martin, a 2028 unprotected first-round pick, two second-round picks, and a 2029 pick swap, and an additional first-round pick. Jeez, that's never-ending. That'll be routed from a third team, that last uh, additional first-round pick. And finally, to the ice, the Rangers kept their early-season momentum going with a 3-2 overtime win. Road win, I should say. Last night over the Winnipeg Jets. Good for their fifth straight road W. Fifth straight W overall as well. Artemi Panarin celebrated his 32nd birthday with a goal and two assists. Stretching his season opening point streak to nine games down. Chris Kreider birdied his sixth goal of the year to tie things up a little over halfway through the third. But in overtime, it was Mika Zibanejad who played hero with a game winner uh, with just under 30 seconds left in the extra period. Here's what that sounded like, courtesy of MSG. Zibanejad with it, 35 seconds to go in the overtime. Keandre Miller, does he have another game winner in that stick? Panarin. Zibanejad, he scores! They did it! The Rangers have swept the road trip! Five for five! Mika Zibanejad! The Islanders uh, ended up on the opposite side of things in their overtime bout at home against the Detroit Red Wings, losing 4-3 after Lucas Raymond scored a minute 25 into overtime to give Detroit the win. The Owls had won two straight heading into last night, so we'll try and get back on track come their next game Thursday night in Washington. Noam, that is sports, and I'm Justin Ellick. All right, let's catch you up on the big stories of the morning. Continues to be overseas. The war between Israel and Hamas. Israel says it's expanding its ground operation in Gaza. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu speaking to the world yesterday from Jerusalem. The horrors that Hamas perpetrated on October 7th remind us that we will not realize the promise of a better future unless we, the civilized world, are willing to fight the barbarians. This comes as fighting between Israel and Hamas stretches past the three-week mark. Over 9,000 have been killed, the number up for debate, depending on which side you talk to. But either way, a lot of people are dead over the weekend. Talks between two sides to free some of the over 200 hostages held by Hamas reportedly stalled. But Israeli soldiers did find a female Israeli soldier who had been kidnapped back on October 7th, were able to return her her back home. Here's more of the Prime Minister from yesterday. Shatter that promising future. Destroy all that we cherish and usher in a world of fear and darkness. Netanyahu says Israel has reached a turning point. It is time for all of us to decide if we are willing to fight for a future of hope and promise or surrender to tyranny and terror. While they were able to rescue that Israeli soldier yesterday, you might have seen the video of three women that are still being held hostage. Hard to watch. Uh, Israelis not saying whether they know where where these three women are, but they say they're outraged that Hamas is putting videos of them out there. That as humanitarian aid is flowing into Gaza as the war continues. Yesterday, 45 trucks carrying food, water, and other humanitarian aid moved through, through the Rafa crossing into Gaza. 
marking the highest single-day shipment to date. That's State Department spokesman Mark Miller. He says the U.S. is working to ensure there's a sustained delivery of supplies into Gaza. We recognize the needs are immense, and we want to see sustained daily deliveries of food, water, and medical supplies into Gaza. And U.S. officials pressuring Israel to restore all access to water and telecommunications in the region. Some of it was cut off. Water is a fundamental human right, and its availability is crucial for the well-being of Gaza's residents. Communications networks needed to be restored, and we are pleased that they took steps to do that. And even as they push for more humanitarian aid into Gaza, the U.S. Is, does not support a ceasefire between Israel and Hamas at this point. We believe that a ceasefire right now benefits Hamas, uh, and Hamas is the only one that would gain. That's National Security Spokesman John Kirby talking to reporters yesterday. We do not believe that a, a ceasefire um, is the right answer right now. Killing civilians is not a war aim of the Israeli Defense Forces. Their war aim is to go after Hamas terrorists. And the White House uh, taking action now, they say, to combat the alarming rise in reported anti-Semitic incidents on college campuses following the outbreak of the war. There's no place for hate in America, and we condemn any anti-Semitic threat or incident in the strongest terms. Press Secretary Corinne Jean-Pierre there says the Departments of Justice, Homeland Security, now partnering with campus and local law enforcement to address some threats. We're tracking these threats closely. And we're going to do everything we can to counter terrorism, anti-Semitism. Yeah, and it seems most of it's right here in New York, which might be surprising to a lot of people. Police investigating more anti-Semitic incidents and threats of violence at Cornell in upstate New York. A series of online threats made against the Ivy League school's Jewish community on Sunday and against uh, Jewish students. We're, we're just horrified. We, 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 we don't know when it became that hatred of Jews, anti-Semitism is a part. This is a nonpartisan issue. This should be something that is guaranteed before any discourse can even happen. Governor Hochul visiting the campus yesterday. We have always been a proponent of open discourse and healthy dialogue, but, but what the conditions that it's reached, especially in our university, but this is not an isolated incident to Cornell. This is happening in other universities, Cooper Union, Tulane. It is amazing. It's happening on the Ivy League campuses, uh, same as Columbia University. Students there, Jewish students, holding a press conference yesterday saying that anti-Semitism is bad on that campus on the Upper West Side. We have students on our campus calling out by name explicitly that they want certain students on this campus to die slowly. Someone had to make a group chat to escort Jewish students around campus. And it was the students who held this press conference yesterday, not the university. He said, the Jews. I've seen them parrot foul anti-Semitic tropes. I've seen them label visibly Muslim students as terrorists. Yes, so they say it's not just the Jewish students that are picked on, but uh, people who are identifiably religious of any faith, the Muslim students included. But in this case, the last couple weeks since the war between Hamas and Israel, it's been the Jewish students. There's many, many more steps that need to be taken that are not just or even physical police presence. This is a cultural problem. By the way, we reached out Columbia University for a response to that press conference yesterday. They have not gotten back to us. Fire Commissioner Laura Cavanaugh. By the way, we met to get to the story yesterday, and they asked if we would do it. So, And it's a good story, so we will. Fire Commissioner Laura Cavanaugh says New Yorkers can prick 
pick up free smoke alarms at the fire department Red Cross and the FDNY Foundation. That's in Brooklyn. More than 190,000 smoke alarms have been installed across New York City between those three groups. And as the weather gets cold, the risk of fire goes higher. So they want to make sure that everybody across the city has a smoke alarm. So if you need one, you can go get one. They're still available. Here in New York City, through our partnership with the FDNY and the FDNY Foundation, we've installed nearly 190,000 alarms, including hundreds of specialty alarms for the deaf and hard of hearing communities. Now, again, so uh, check out the Red Cross, the FDNY Foundation in Brooklyn. If you go to your local firehouse, I'm sure they'll be able to secure you one as well. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.